Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the Soundtrack to a Life. And so, any waits, any waits, any waits For a call From a friend The same It's the same Was it always the same And welcome back to the Soundtrack to a Life. I continue to be Chris. One of these days I'm going to do this with a guest host just to not have it open awkwardly with me saying who I am yet again. But this is not that day. With me again is Mike. Mike's back. Hey, Mike. Hello. How's it going? Pretty well. What you been up to since we saw you last? All the school. All the uh, mind-melting philosophy degree of school. So surviving, mostly getting it. Continuing to work at the liquor store, which is uh, challenging in and of itself with the school. So yeah, still going well. Philosophy by day, entertaining drunks by night. That seems to be my M.O., yeah. Living your best <laughs> yeah, life. Living my best life, yeah. And Mike and I are here today to talk about Ben Fold's 2001 album, Rockin' the Suburbs. September 11th, 2001. The day that changed the world forever. Because on that day, Ben Folds would release his debut solo album after disbanding Ben Folds 5, and in doing so, changed the course of human history perhaps irrevocably. Yeah, I'm coming in hot this time around. So, 2001, Ben Folds. Having disbanded Ben Folds 5, it was time for the man to rediscover himself as a creative force and explore what he was capable of outside the confines of the band. To that end, he holed up in Australia, where he was living at the time, and started writing songs. And what songs they are. Catchy and smart and wry and acerbic and sweet and sweeping and affecting. The perfect showcase of Mr. Folds and everything he was capable of as a performer and songwriter. On his debut, Ben Folds showcases himself as the sort of sui generis talent that comes along once in a generation. A voice so unique that it manages to sound both timeless and out of time. Belonging to no era. Impossible to date because he never sounded current. He couldn't be bothered to. By the time it came out, of course, other events of that particular September had overtaken the funny little piano pop record, and the musical landscape had shifted beneath our feet. An album of wry, bittersweet piano pop by an acerbic 90s singer-songwriter in September of 2001 was not what the larger pop audience was looking for. They were looking for U2 and Coldplay and Keen, bands with huge, sweeping, stadium-ready choruses that reassured us that we were going to be okay. And Ben Fold's debut, while by no means the most important after-effect of that month, was lost in the shuffle, a record out of time by a man out of time, to be rediscovered at some later date by those who might choose to seek it out. This was never music with the radio in mind, but at the time of its release, it must have been a very hard sell indeed. But perhaps true-life events were not the only reason rock in the suburbs only found its way to modest commercial success. It came near the U.S. Top 40, but didn't quite crack it. Its singles hit the modern rock charts, but not the pop ones. Because Ben Folds isn't the sort of artist who's built for mass communication. The appeal of a performer like Mr. Folds is meant to be narrow, but deep. You get the impression, on all his work, but especially here, that he's perfectly happy with the small but fanatically devoted fan base. That any fan unwilling to dig deep and really focus their attention on the music he's making 
is not a fan he's particularly interested in courting. He's a hard man to like, but an easy one to love, an easy artist to swear loyalty to. And his solo debut, for me, marks the moment where he makes the transition from member of a band that had a few songs in the 90s to low-key cultural force. And for this reason, Rock in the Suburbs truly is an album I will never forget. So, Mike, you've never heard Rock in the Suburbs by Ben Folds before, and now you have. I have, yes. What do you think? I was confused by it. I, I was expecting everything that I had heard of Ben Folds and Ben Folds 5 at random on the radio or anything like that had been lower key. This was far higher energy than I anticipated from it. You know, you've got really driving piano lines, like 16th notes on the on the hi-hats just going and, you know, hand clap rhythms and all of that. And I was pleasantly surprised by how upbeat it was. Clearly, he's a brilliant musician. Like, you can hear in the piano lines that he knows his stuff. He's really well accomplished in his songwriting, you know, mixing the lyrics in with the piano. It, they fit together really well. Am I sure this is an album for me? I'm not sure yet. It's gradually percolating through my skull. Yeah, it takes a few listens. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to it on and off since we decided to do this, and, you know, I'll, I'll put it on, like, probably once a week sort of thing, and give it another listen. And each time I get a little bit more from it, it's certainly an album that, for me, is taking a lot of work. I mean, I, I can absolutely see how there would be people who would just go direct into it, just be absolutely enamored right away. It's taking a little time for me, but I can see it on the horizon. Yeah, it's an album that's worth unpacking, but that you do have to take some time to unpack. I will admit, I have always been a sucker for a really gifted technical musician thrashing out uh, yeah, you can piano. You can, yeah, I mean, you can <laughs> almost hear the keys are like giving way to him. It's sort of, it's, you can hear like the mechanics of the piano are going, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. It's. Joe Jackson did the same thing <clears throat> when we went to see him a couple or three years ago now. I know that Anthrax, the speed metal band, covered Joe Jackson's song, Got the Time. And then when Joe Jackson heard it, responded, I can play it faster than that. <laughs> and now he does. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> and Elton John did the same thing for large portions of the 70s. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, Andrew W.K., Okay. if you see him live, is at a piano, playing piano lines that I'm told if you try to play them yourself will break your fingers. <laughs> Although that's not what he's known for. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an easy get for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to play almost hard rock songs. Yeah. On an instrument that is not designed for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's moments in there where it's just, it goes from like a nice soft song, fairly, you know, it, it's something that's fairly tame, to just going. Ascent of Stan is a great one for that. It just, it comes out of nowhere almost. It just like pounds on it and you get to the chorus and it's just driving. Yeah, it's, it's really compulsive music. And music that is not about what songs are traditionally about, mm -hmm. which I always appreciate. Nobody in the 21st century has done arch and witty slice-of-life portraiture in their songs, like Ben Folds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his his lyrics absolutely paint a picture in your head of, like, there's one line, uh, streetlights cast lines on the floor, and I was just like, I just saw a noir-style film 
sort of thing in my head of it. And it's like, you can see just these beams of light that are just slats that go through. And yeah. he's, all of the songs are like this, where he's just talking about this stuff and it's like it paints such a vivid picture in your head yeah with so much detail work like it's not yeah. enough for you to know about zach and sarah you need to know how their names are spelled it's not enough to hear a story about a dude getting on a ton of drugs climbing a tree and finding jesus there <laughs> you need to know at i mean which where else are you gonna find those drugs yeah. <laughs> where else are you gonna find jesus but at the top of a tree honestly i mean like where else are you gonna find jesus other than on a ton of drugs well Good point. I feel like the real tree, the real tree is inside you, <laughs> and you have to climb it by yeah. taking a ton of drugs. Yeah, just, just all the mushrooms. Just the maximum number of mushrooms that you can fit into a day. <laughs> Not a recommendation, kids at home. Don't do a ton of drugs. Do a ton of drugs. This is my ASMR video about doing drugs and why you should. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> Uh, I mentioned the I mentioned the same thing when Chelsea and I were on here talking about Sleeper. Detail work adds a real texture to a pop song that you can't get from anywhere else. I guess it's a Kinks school of songwriting thing where everything is uh, very fussy and managed, but you know everything. Yeah, yeah, it's a, they give you every detail that could be needed for I mean it's telling a complete story. It's like you can't just have the sort of cursory details, the overarching details. It's like, oh, so-and-so did this, and then so-and-so did this. doesn't make for a good story. Whereas if you give more detail, you know, it was a windy day, and it was, you know, I felt the chill on my skin, and then this occurred. It gives it more of a flavor. It makes it feel more personal. It makes it feel like you're there, which, especially on Not the Same, which apparently was based on a true story. Okay. Of a friend of his who took a bunch of LSD at a party and became a born-again Christian shortly thereafter. Yeah, see, it seems counterintuitive to me. It's Really? People well, find God on drugs, dude. I'm not saying it's the main way or the only way. Well, uh, absolutely. I mean, for the most part, it's through your parents. Yeah. Regrettably, but... Uh, they hand you theirs. They hand you their drugs? Mm, yes. Yes, okay. They cool. hand you their attitudes toward drugs. Yep. And their religion. What is the point? You have a child. Yes, I do. What is the point of taking that five years to look after someone who will die if you turn your back for five seconds? If not, to test your weird theories on how people should live on a live human being. It is a wonderful test ground. Yes. <laughs> God, I wish it was only five years. Well, I mean, I'm sure <laughs> a six-year-old you could leave the room to get a sandwich. Well, this is true. Actually, yeah, I mean, I... I have personal experience where it's like, went outside for a cigarette and came back in and, and she had torn her brand new earrings straight through her ear. Oh, God. And was just sort of sitting there on the couch with her hand, with her hand up against her ear, just looking totally cash. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Uh, no problems. Uh, you know, like, move your hand from your head. No. I have pretty liberal attitudes mm -hmm. with regard to bodily autonomy, and people underage getting piercings. Yeah. That story makes me almost change my mind. Yeah, it's a... I can't even remember why it was decided that she was going to have earrings or anything like that. And after this instance, she 
hasn't had earrings ever again. I wouldn't think. I'm not sure that her at, you know, nearly high school graduation age would not still just tear them through her skin. Just like, right out. Just right out. It's like, it's not her thing, and okay, cool. I mean, she doesn't have to. No, exactly. And, you know, I, I don't think it's required of anyone. But yeah, if you had a religion, you'd teach her your religion. That is your right as a parent. You've done the work. Oh, you know, I'm... I have issues with that being a right of a parent. Okay, but when the time came to a teacher aggressive <clears throat> atheism, that was kind of your right as a parent. <laughs> See, she was always very interested. She wanted to know about everything. You know, one of the things was when she was in elementary particularly, when I was giving her a ride to school, she would go, she'd get in the car, she'd sit down, and she'd go, Dad, tell me about blank. And... A few of the times it was in regards to religion. Tell me about Christianity. Tell me about Catholicism. Tell me about Islam. Things that she had happened to hear somewhere. Yeah. Like a, a word, really. I mean, she, it was almost like she was trying to build up her vocabulary. And so I would, while driving her to school, have to come with, off the top of my head, what I could what conceivably you know. <laughs> tell her with any sort of certitude. Take her to a mosque. Well, well, there's a mosque near here that does meet and greets on Saturdays. Yeah, I, and I thought about doing that. So, in terms of the atheism, did I push that on her? Probably. Is it right for me to have done that? I would say probably not. Somebody's got to teach kids values. Our values. I'm not saying. I'm not saying other people wouldn't be better at it than you. Oh, absolutely. I'm just saying you're more invested in this kid. In, in this Therefore, kid Therefore, you're probably yes. going to get there first. And just simply because she's always around her parents when yep. she's young. I can agree to that. you got to form her taste in music, her taste in religion, oh. and her taste in television. I like to think I have probably done okay on at least two of those. Oh, I don't know, man. The first Cure record she listened to was with me. That doesn't seem right. See, I, <laughs> I, again, I would argue that she heard it by proxy because they were always on in the car. That's true. Um, I believe I believe she even mentions that in the episode yeah, of yeah. I've heard all of this before. I had just yeah. never heard it for my own taste. Like, anyways, um, do we need to give kids value? Like, give them their value. Are they, are they not able to do this of themselves? No. At five. You teach them values and then you have a good attitude where they reject those values ten years later. <laughs> That's how child rearing works. Well. In its ideal. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, are they able to tell good from bad themselves? Are they? I would say yes from at least my observations of her when she was younger. She was able to see what a good action was versus a bad action. Basically, she knew the idea of consequences. Can we teach kids about action and consequence? Absolutely. Should we teach them that certain actions shouldn't be done without them knowing what potential consequences are? See, now I'm thinking that part of this is just your worry that as a man who one time set himself on fire while drunk in his 30s, late 30s. You are not qualified to teach people that actions have consequences. 
Oh, I knew, I absolutely knew that sitting in said chair was going to have the eventual consequence of me lighting on fire. Well, to be fair, it would have the eventual consequence of one of the eight people doing it with you lighting themselves on fire, and everyone involved went, one in eight, I can live with them on. This is true. <laughs> the dude that was in the chair immediately before you has to feel great. <laughs> I'm sure. I am the last successful chair burner. <laughs> and I always will be. Who was uh, that, by the way? I wasn't at that party I, yet. I couldn't for the life of me tell you. I was, as you mentioned, already very drunk by that point. You were birthday drunk. I was birthday drunk. The kind of drunk that if you did it any of the other days of the year, people would organize an intervention. Absolutely. But that you can get away with on your birthday. On your birthday, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can't off the top of my head remember there was a significant portion of blackout to that night. Yeah, that's canceled. Um, probably for the better in terms of I don't actually remember the injury pain itself all that much when it occurred. Uh, I remember the occurrence of it. I don't remember the aftermath. Fair. So, I don't know. I've always tried to live my life from the perspective of not so much polar good, bad, or even grayscale good, bad. I look at it merely as action and consequence. And am I willing to stand behind my actions for whatever consequences may arrive from? Yeah. Are you willing to assert a level of control over your life and then accept what that leads to logically? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. In much the same way Ben Folds did with this record. I'm nailing the segues. He... <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Thank you. He uh, does everything here. It, uh, um, he wrote the songs. He sang the songs. He plays the piano. He plays the keyboards. He plays the guitar on some of the tracks. He plays the bass and the drums on some of the tracks at varying points. Nice. After leaving Benfold's Five, a band that was merely named after himself, he asserted a level of dictatorial control over his first piece as a solo artist that I found incredibly confident. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to make your way as an artist, make your way as an artist. You know, if, if you know you're capable of playing all of these parts or teaching yourself how to play all of these parts, then by all means do it. Art is about your individual perspective on it, you know, on the creation of it and all that. If you want that to be your piece of art, then make it your fucking piece of art. Yeah, and it very much is here on this album, but in general with Ben Fold's music. It really feels like it's music that is of Ben Fold's and by Ben Fold's and for Ben Fold's. Other people get to engage with it, but it is for him. Yeah, you can go along with him on this adventure, but if this had sold zero copies and he had been dropped from his record label... I feel like he would be in his living room. Still playing the album. Still playing new music. He is following the whims of a very particular muse, now, and he will not be swayed from that. There was one song, it got me really quite deep. So I've got, I didn't actually do any research on the album itself in terms of what was going on in his life at the time. Still fighting it, you know, the relationship between father and child. Like, had he had a child at around this time, or was he even with someone, or is this just his perspective on how that might go? I definitely could have looked that up. 
I know that a lot of the songs that he writes are autobiographical mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Not the same, obviously. Brick yeah. uh, was a song about an abortion that he and the person he was seeing uh, had been through. I believe Army was based on an experience that he had with a band. So if I were to learn that this was based on a real story, it would not shock me at all. Mm -hmm. There's just one line in it, and it just tore me to shreds. You're so much like me, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm just like, oh, <sighs> crap. <laughs> it, because, I mean, anyone who's met Liv can see, admittedly, both me and her mother in her. And I take a look at those aspects of me and I go, what have I done? <laughs> this is going to be rough for you. Yes, this this is going to be a lifelong struggle for you. I am in so sorry. <laughs> and in specific ways where you will be able to offer no advice. <laughs> <laughs> because I still haven't figured it out myself. Like, yeah. you know, those quirks that are of me. It's like, well, they're quirks of me because I haven't figured that shit out. Now that's been passed on. And yeah. I mean, that's what happens. Yeah. I no. mean, it, it, I mean... At least, hey, it's following the natural progression of things. You yeah. Know, the, these quirks are probably adapted quirks that I got from my parents and from their parents and yeah. further and further back. So There's the reason why the expression is you want to do slightly better than your parents rather than you want to do significantly better than your parents. That second thing is unreasonable. And I do enjoy, on this record, the ability to slip in. Just like heartbreaking moments. It just, yeah, and just like it's just one moment, like one line at the end of the chorus, you hear it two, maybe three times total. Yeah. And it's just, it's gentle and it's just so apologetic. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear it and it's just like, oh, the heart. Ow. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Jones is the same way. Yes. The story of just, it's his last day, he would rather not go. Everyone has already forgotten him. Now, it's titled Fred Jones Part 2. Is there a part one that I haven't heard? No. Okay, it was just, it's just, uh, this is part two of his life. Benfold's it... 5 was a three-piece. <laughs> Benfold's numbering system. <laughs> it's his own. <laughs> He's a... Back, uh, back to elementary school for that. Uh, you know, he can he can do graduate level music, but uh, maybe maybe grade two level math. Apparently, yeah, apparently. Or he's coming up with his own thing. Yeah. Hey, uh, why not? Hot Sauce Committee Part Two by Beastie Boys. Uh, true. Yeah. Was not a was follow up not, to anything called Hot any, Sauce yeah. Committee, which is probably for the best. I, I, it's, it's a questionable it, title. I was once. It 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 absolutely is. I would love to hear the part ones of all of these songs. I would love for someone to go back and do like a retrospective and include the part one, even if it was written after the part two or the part five. What, like Fred Jones getting to work on his first day, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, enthusiastic and optimistic about life, and then you hear part two and, oh no. Or you hear part two to begin, and then you hear part one as like the next track to hear where it all starts. I'd buy that. That does yeah. seem fun. Yeah, it seems like it seems like a good retrospective on life. Well, if you're listening, Ben Folds, and I know that you aren't, <laughs> write this song for Mike, a man who's not even sure if he likes you or not yet. I don't know. I don't see. I, I, I don't see I don't how say, that could I, go I, anywhere. I, this, well. can, this can only go well. And like he's done weirder shit. He um, produced William Shatner's album "Has Been." <laughs> if you've heard that, why? 
Okay, first of all, has been is sincerely good. You're speaking Greek to me. Like, Shatner and sincerely no, good. No, for sure. I definitely bought it as a bit. Okay. But then when I listened to it, it was actually good. Shit. Ben Folds uh, knows his way around composition. Okay, I, I can see that. How yeah. to work with a man with a limited vocal range. All right. And how to pitch a song such that an actorly delivery will knock it out of the park. Okay. It is good, and I enjoyed it. I, I'll have to check it out. Bill Shatner also covered the song Rock in the Suburbs. Okay. For the mo soundtrack to the movie Over the Hedge, which I have not seen, but the cover is endearingly weird. I mean, anything that's going to be involved in a animated film, yeah. Ben Folds also, in lieu of a traditional greatest hits package, got collegiate a cappella groups to cover his most popular tracks. <laughs> that's wicked. That, that It's so high-minded art. Oh, He's man, that's dude. wicked. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It sounds great, too. I, I can only imagine. Like, it sounds really good. And it got him work. Wow. Because he was the host... On uh, the Sing Off, okay, which is a reality competition show, yeah, on NBC or was for a while. But instead of individual singers, it was a cappella groups, and he had just put out an a cappella record, okay, yeah, and is pretty personable. Yeah, you can hear that from his voice, from his lyrics. That this is a guy who's just gonna be totally chill when you come up and talk to him. Just from listening to him do music, Ben Folds is someone that you would like. Yeah, it, it, if you down to earth, in real life. you know, down to earth, probably fairly humble, very approachable, that sort of thing. You can't say that about many artists on hearing their album, or I can't think of any off the top of my head. There's some that you would want. Yeah, to would be. want to, uh, to be personal, but probably aren't. But you genuinely don't know. Yeah, it, it's a total unknown at yeah. that point, yeah. There are some. The dude from the Charlatans, I'm imagining, is chill at a party. Probably. Probably slightly too into drugs, although... Yeah, I was going to say, pro uh, probably it's 30 years. fairly fairly stoned. It's 30 like, years later. I'm imagining he's less stoned than he used to be. Well, yeah, but, like, Iggy Pop... Is Iggy Pop still doing drugs? I don't know if he's doing quite as much as he was. Probably not as many of the really, really hard drugs. I had been under the impression, and yes, this is Googleable. Okay. And no, we're not going to look it up. <laughs> because I prefer Fact this check your own shit. as a bad bar conversation. Okay. I was under the impression that Iggy Pop had sobered up with Bowie in Berlin in the late 70s. And then turned into one of those dudes who gives up drugs. And then uses that emotional energy to work out really hard. And that is why Iggy Pop is impossibly jacked yeah. in his 70s. Yeah. I guess that could be it. Like I, I just always took it for like the heroin chic yeah. sort of thing. Just the impression that he was 100% of the time on heroin. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure he was. I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure at the beginning of his career, yeah. That was I just insane. know that when Bowie was giving up drugs, Iggy Pop was in the room. And it'd be weird if he were still doing drugs. I'm not saying it would be a deal breaker. No. Weird, uh, yeah. But <laughs> it would be weird. Yeah. If somebody that I knew started going to AA... I wouldn't drink with them. Or I in would, their presence. I would probably yeah. drink the same amount. <laughs> Just but away elsewhere. from them. Yeah. It's a social nicety of it, I guess. Yeah. It's... Plus you want to help a buddy out. Well, one would hope, yeah. <laughs> We're um, going through some shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, so you said that 
you're fairly certain most of this is autobiographical. Does he have many affairs with many named women? Because <laughs> there's a lot of women's names in this album. That's a fact. And they all seem fairly personal. It's not, it, maybe not like long-term relationship kind of personal, but there's an intimacy there, but it's always a different woman's name. Is this maybe just a stand-in name for set for the same woman? Like, so well, as to protect the innocent, quote-unquote? I think part of it is that. Okay. If you're going to write a song about somebody, you're not going to call them out. Yeah. Unless you're Ariana Grande, which I am here for. Sidebar, it turns out the reason I couldn't get behind Taylor Swift writing a song about all of her exes is that she wasn't petty enough. She didn't name them specifically. I, I need someone to name names and give me the specifics on what they have done. Because, <laughs> I mean, it certainly makes the music fun. I am weirdly it's... into that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think part of it is changing names because you don't want the names of the people who you've been involved with out there for public yeah. consumption. You would not want that today a thousand times worse. But even in 2001, yeah. pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter, you would not want that out there. I think part of that is a lot of it is autobiographical, but not all of it. Some of the love songs are probably just because he likes writing love songs. He does them well, absolutely. Yeah, and I think part of it is his actual life. So some combination of those three factors, but I couldn't tell you which is which is which. Yeah, I was just like, I, I was looking at the track list, and I'm like, God, there's a lot of women on this one. Yeah. It's just like, it, it, it songs about women that I don't know, and I'm not sure he knows, or actually even exist is this like an amalgamation of many women and their various things that i don't know that's yeah this is weird shit that i think about when i'm listening to music I don't, that makes sense. I don't know. some of it might just be songs about romance because yeah this was the tail end of the period where ben folds could reasonably get mainstream radio play and while we're talking about that it's fucking weird music to have been on the radio like the 90s yeah yeah, yeah i mean the few tracks that I had heard from Ben Folds 5, it's like, why, why is this on the radio? Yeah, like, Brick is a pretty song. Army is a fun song. But between the two of it, like, I'll say the same thing that I said probably during our Cake episode. The late 90s had no idea what music was supposed to sound like. <laughs> it was sort of that in-between period where it's like, it wasn't sure where it was going. It was still sort of fuddling through. And then, yeah, like 2003, 2004, suddenly things solidified. We got solidified it more or less nailed more. down. Yeah. Boy bands probably helped for certain values of the word helped. They're lessening values, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Ben... Folds was one of the beneficiaries of that attitude within music, I guess. He managed to slip a couple of songs in through the cracks. Yeah. So another another thing that sort of came to me, would it be safe to say that Ben Folds could be the our current generation's equivalent to, like, Billy Joel? Like, piano music on the radio. I would say that he's more of the equivalent of our generation's Joe Jackson, in that everything he writes is bitterly personal. Yeah, I guess uh, Billy Joel doesn't and, really have that. And also because he's perpetually under the mainstream of music. True. Yeah, I, uh, uh, Billy Joel would have had a, a yeah. lot more success in his era, yeah. certainly. Joe Jackson had like two top 40 hits, Though, but a career that lasted 50 years and counting as devoted fans stuck with him, which feels like a much more similar model. But I mean... I don't know many people, at least in our age range, uh, you know, between 40 and 30 years old, who 
haven't at least heard of Ben Folds. Yeah, I know. Which is remarkable market saturation for someone who, as you said, didn't have a whole lot of radio stuff, didn't crack the top 40, etc., etc., but everyone just sort of, you say Ben Folds, and everyone at least knows of what you're speaking. May not have heard it or anything like that, but knows Ben Folds exists. It's good music to put on a party. If you're looking for the, not our generation, but the current generation's Billy Joel, it's Bruno Mars. Oh, absolutely, yeah. He is a great songwriter and a gifted performer. It all comes off as a little bit insincere. He writes songs as though it were approximately 30 years ago. And there, there is fits a, himself into like a throwbacky vibe. There is a serious throwbacky vibe to it. Uh, and similarly, Billy Joel was making 50s-style doo-wop records in the 80s. True. So that's how that lines up. Yeah, I'd buy that. And, like, Bruno Mars is my favorite Minneapolis-area funk band from 1983. Why Minneapolis? Minneapolis produces a lot of good funk bands. Really? I don't know. Most of them were just Prince ghostwriting for people. Okay. Minneapolis had Prince ghostwriting for people for about <laughs> six years. I guess is what I meant to say. <laughs> but, like, some of them were also good bands. The Time was a good band. Yeah. I mean, why Minneapolis, though? Because like, he's it, from it, there, dude. Well, still... He stayed at home because he's Prince. Well, okay, can't argue with that. You hit a certain critical mass, and now you don't have to live in L.A. or New York anymore. You can just bring the musical industry to you. Admittedly, Prince is an artist that I've never really delved that far into. Oh, shit, son, you're coming back for talking about Prince. Okay, I'm, (laughs) I'm down. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, from what I've heard... Excellent guitarist, etc., etc. Like, like a really excellent guitarist. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yells on the guitar. But yeah, I just never. It one of those that I just never really delved into. I don't Fair. know why. I guess he really hit the scene at about the same time as Michael Jackson, and there was a lot of the comparison there in the eighties. Yeah, I'll buy that. And I remember my parents at the time were very much on the Jackson side of the camp. That checks out. Um, that I mean, I'm like be a reason behind it. But, but you can like two things. Yes, of course I can. I, it's not to say, well, it's not even to say that I like Michael Jackson all that much. Michael Jackson's good. Early albums. His certainly. voice has a lot of joy in it. Yeah, but we've talked about this. I'm not big on the whole joy thing. You should enjoy more joy. But why? Have we learned nothing from Joy Division? <laughs> <laughs> we have to unite in joy, not divide it. <laughs> Wah, 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 wah. Uh, Stand by that joke. Yeah. <laughs> I like me some music that's got some darker tones to it. Michael Jackson did have brief moments of that, where there was, like, the darker tone to it. Absolutely Ben Folds. There seems to be almost an even split on the album, where some of it's really low-key and super personal-sounding, and... Darker-ish vocals, like uh, not not darker content per se, but just conveyance of mood yep. sort of thing. And then there's the other stuff that's just like, holy shit, how much drug? How many drugs has he done? Yeah, and like it's interesting given that the whole hangs together as well as it does. Yeah, a record that can start with a song like Zach and Sarah and end with the luckiest and still feel like one piece is an impressive achievement by any metric. Yeah, I mean it's clearly. It, it was designed as an album, maybe not with a throughput of story or anything like that. But yeah, but a lot cert- of tonal care and craft. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah, almost the um, high fidelity rule of don't blow your wad too soon, sort of thing. That's you know, exactly the, right. The mixtape, you know, there are the rules to it, and it's very clearly organized for okay you need to bring them up a little bit here and okay bring down okay further further and there's a nice flow to it so it's the perfect end like the luckiest is a gorgeous song yes absolutely Uh, it shocks me zero much to know that it's one of the most popular first dance wedding songs yeah going among a certain age cohort yeah i mean you you listen to it and you can see bride and groom dancing together like it is what it is yeah Uh, it's Possibly even planned that way. Yeah, but it's, it's a gorgeous song to end a record on. And I guess a gorgeous end it to an episode of this show. Sure. This has been the soundtrack to a life. Uh, oh, wait. We're we have end? questions. Yes, I have questions. Professional person. Mike, you ever going to listen to Rock in the Suburbs again? I am. Nice. Are you going to explore Ben Fold's catalog further? That's going to depend on how far ingrained into this one I can get. I'm still trying to process it. Uh, once I have it processed and have it in my wheelhouse, then yes, I probably will be. That checks out. If you do decide that you want to dig deeper, the unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner, his last album with Benfolds 5, is a great next step. Lonely Avenue, which he co-wrote with Nick Hornby, the author of High Fidelity. Excellent. And uh, About a Boy, etc., is also a great one. But he is the kind of artist where there are no wrong answers. So, pick one out at random. Just go. The man does a lovely, tender piano cover of Bitches Ain't Shit. (laughs) Okay. By, who was that by originally? Was that Ice Cube? Was that Dre? Snoop Dogg? I I know almost nothing about hip-hop, so. If you want to hear a slowed-down piano ballad cover of that, that exists in the world. And you'll never live in a world where that doesn't exist. So look forward to Wow. Okay, sure. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow along on Twitter and Facebook at SoundtrackCast. We are at SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, rate us, share us, review us. Reviews are super useful. I got nominated for a Canadian Podcasting Award in the category of music this year. Though by the time you hear this, it will be too late to vote. Unfortunately. So, maybe I didn't deserve it. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> what do you got to plug? What have I got to play? Yeah, you don't got pluggables, do you? No, I have nothing pluggable, really. That's right. uh, uh, Drink more, think more. That's really all I can say. Excellent advice in every circumstance. What song are we going out on? Let's go out on a sense of stand. I, I quite like it. Done. We're closing it out on a scent of Stan. This has been the soundtrack to a life. We will see you in two weeks for a different experience with a different record. The scent of Stan. The textbook hippie man.